We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining us always my co-host, Nick Filato. Today we're here to break down the All-22 Coaches film on the defensive side of the ball. We are going to talk about what exactly happened to the Giants' defense in a game where they allowed 44 points, albeit one on a pick six, but could have been a lot worse. Drop wide open touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz on a bold coverage, took four points off the board for Dallas, and a random once in every 50 games, as I like to call it, because it just never happens. Fumbled exchange with Dak Prescott, took another three, at least three, likely seven off the board. So just almost at no point were the Giants able to really get a hold of this thing defensively, at least from you know both a pass defense standpoint and in the run game. The run game was, the run defense for the Giants was worse than we've seen in a very long time, Nick. So let me get your overall thoughts on this defense before we start to, uh, in this game, I should say, before we start to break this thing down drive by drive, because then I do have some kind of 30,000 foot questions for you about the defense that I want to talk about at the very end. And Dallas's offense is just, it's just fun to watch, Dan. It really is. They had so much success with 12 personnel. Dalton Schultz is such a good blocker, man. Watching him just kind of manhandle a lot of the Giants' edges and being tasked to execute blocks that are so pivotal and important to duo blocking schemes, something that Dallas likes to run extensively. And it's also something the Giants run pretty extensively as well. At least it seems like they do. And it's kind of hard to differentiate between certain inside zone and duo plays. But you need a really good blocking tight end to pull off duo runs. And Dallas has that in both Jarwin and Schultz. The Giants, man, I mean, it's just it's similar to what we saw in, in week nine of 2019, Leonard Williams' first game. That's kind of what my takeaway. Remember that game, Dan? We broke it down on the Big Blue yeah. Banter podcast so long ago. But the Cowboys just stretch zone outside, power gap outside, and they just attack the Giants' defense horizontally and found creases in cutback lanes. And now the Giants, and back then they didn't have linebackers that were really all that great, but Reggie Ragland and Tay Crowder struggled in this game. 
And it was very, very evident that the Giants defense missed Blake Martinez in this game, more so than it was in the Saints game where I thought Tay Crowder played relatively well. It's a, It was a deflating performance by this defense, by a team that's just much more talented than they are in terms of how they are performing at the moment. And I do believe Dak Prescott is just one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Every time the Giants gave this guy an opportunity to strike, he took it. He recognized it. And then the Dallas Cowboys receiver ended up beating the Giants cornerback. And that sucks when it's James Bradbury because James Bradbury, we thought, was a top five cornerback. And he's not playing like that this season. Yeah. I mean, we can talk a lot about that. We'll have to talk about Bradbury because the Bradbury regression is is alarming, to say the least. Now, we maybe got a little too ahead of ourselves on Bradbury, I wonder, because there were a lot of examples of this on his tape with Carolina. Remember, like when we brought him in, the Giants, we kind of got a little bit spoiled, I think, by his 2020 breakout season because if you looked at the overall sample size of what Bradbury was coming to the Giants, we weren't expecting lockdown corner. It was a perspective signing, you know, like they were hoping he could evolve into a lockdown corner, which he did in his first year with the Giants. But he had a large sample size of getting burned, especially on like we saw it last week. Marquez Callaway, you can't let an undrafted rookie free agent beat you vertically if you are. I'm not saying you can't, but if you're if you want to be one of the elite lockdown top three, top five guys, that doesn't happen. And then this week, obviously, with CeeDee Lamb. But I think if we look at the overall sample size there, Nick, there were more, you know, there were less examples, you know, less stretches of play of Bradbury playing like he did in 2020 than he did earlier in his career, I'm sorry, earlier in his career with Carolina. So this just may be who he is. Now the Giants are tied to him big time financially because they have uh, restructured his deal, I believe, at least once, it might maybe twice. They kicked a lot of that cap can down the road. So there will be no releasing him at any point uh, or trading him because of how much dead cap money they've kicked down the road, but you're right. I mean, they're paying him to be an elite number one. So if they want a great defense, the guys you pay to be your elite number one type guys, the James Bradbury's, the Leonard Williams, well, they have to make a big impact in the passing game, game after game, snap after snap, drive after drive. So I want to get to some of those overall stuff with you. Uh, some of those burning questions about the roster. Um, Cause we're going to have to try to figure out, you know, what is it? It's the chicken or the egg. Is it people? Is it offensive coordinators adjusting to Patrick Graham? And what he put on film last year, or is it these, you know, big name, high talent, uh, high priced or and or big time draft pick uh, type players not playing up to, you know, the hype? That's the questions we got to answer. We'll do that all at the end. Let's first do a little drive by drive here with the defense. We'll start with the first drive for the defense. Uh, not a bad drive for the defense. I mean, it ends pretty well for the Giants, and you don't see that happen too much, uh, at least not this year so far. And with an interception on a fourth down call for the Cowboys, they actually go for it on fourth down here after running the ball on third and six to get a, to a fourth and two. Really aggressive play call here from Mike McCarthy. I love it, but great play by Lorenzo Carter. What else to you stood out on this first drive? It was cool to see Dallas come out in a quads look, the same thing they did to open the second half as well. Four receivers to the field side. And it seemed like it confused the Giants linebackers a bit because Dallas had numbers in that formation. And you saw Reggie Ragland and Tay Crowder kind of yelling to get bodies over there. Luckily, that play only picked up six yards. It was a screen to CeeDee Lamb. New York was in a single high look, I would say, more often than I thought they were going to be on this first drive. A lot of two, four, five type of defense with a boundary and man on the line of scrimmage with his hand in the dirt. Dallas was running duo and some power gap. The 15 yard run by Elliott was, in my opinion, kind of Reggie Ragland's fault. He got sucked too far inside and didn't scrape over the top of those blocks. It's something we saw Blake Martinez do really, really often. It didn't happen in this play. And then Carter, man, he came up with two big plays to force the turnover. The third and six, Carter constricted that B gap and stopped Elliott to force the fourth down where he read Prescott's eyes and actually tipped the pass, Dan. Who would have known? Tipped the passes for the New York Giants, something that we complained about because the Giants were always an inch or two away. And now he actually tips this pass and gets the interception. And New York, man, in this game, first drive, they weren't scared to blitz early. Had a nice eight gap plug with Ragland from the Giants, when the Giants were in a tight front and Ojolari kind of acting, dropping into coverage in a creeper type of way, you you send Raglan and then you drop somebody in coverage. That's what we mean by a creeper. I love to see that kind of play call. They also brought the blitz on that fourth down where Lorenzo Carter tipped the ball. Two receivers were wide open on that play too. Elliott in the flat and Cedric Wilson on the other side of the field. So luckily, Dak Prescott didn't see Cedric Wilson because that could have been a huge play. And then he saw Ezekiel Elliott, but great individual effort by Lorenzo Carter. 
Yep. And like you said, I mean, this was a drive where the, the Giants were able to get off the field bottom line. Um, obviously, it was interesting what the Giants tried to, I'm um, sorry, the Cowboys tried to come out with, but ultimately led to no points. So that's a good thing for the Giants uh, defense. But then right away, second drive, Cowboys go 10 plays, 44 yards. But then they're forced to settle for uh, a field goal at the end. Obviously, you know, a little bit aided by Dalton Schultz dropping what was basically a wide open touchdown. But what exactly happened on this second drive? Um, I liked the first down call at the Dallas 48. That was a little deeper into the drive um, where they ran the A-gap blitz with uh, Reggie Ragland, forced an incompletion. Um, but then obviously, you know, you have a, the, the later example where Ragland's in coverage. Schultz beats him to the point where he should have been a touchdown. Ragland up and down in this game. But I thought this was the start of a little bit more of an aggressive game plan from jo- I'm sorry, from from Graham. And that's something I can get on board with here. What else did you see from this drive? A lot of tempo from the Cowboys. Yeah. They were moving on this drive, man. Snapping the ball with time left on the play clock. And the Giants continue to align in that 2-4-5 personnel with uh, the two linebackers on the line of scrimmage. Two-point stances most of the time. Dallas found a rhythm running the football to the right side, something they did very frequently in this game, Dan. Did you notice that as well? Just a lot of runs to the right side. Yeah, a lot of it. And I was, I was surprised to see that. Yeah, during the first two drives, it was mostly Ojolari on that side, but Dallas would align their tight end Dalton Schultz to block Ojolari, and most of these runs were boundary runs, man. They weren't even field side runs. They were boundary runs with three wide receivers to the field. So New York typically would rotate McKinney down to the three receiver side, giving Dallas more of a chance to run successfully to the opposite side of the field, which they did. Dallas continued using the duo vertically displacing defenders, stretch zone, halfback toss, G lead, double pullers. And the Giants had to rely on their backup linebackers to scrape over the top and get into position in a prompt manner, something I felt like they struggled with a solid amount. Raglan did struggle, but Dallas seemed to always have that extra blocker pulling, which puts stress on New York because the alley defender always ended up being the deep safe. And that's just not great because the Giants put such a heavy focus on those three receiver sets they wanted to rotate a safety down to make sure that the seam was protected and to make sure that the numbers advantage wasn't in the Dallas Cowboys favor in terms of passing the football and that left the Giants vulnerable to the boundary and that's why they were so I guess abused to the right side that's why the ball was always on the right hash because he kept running it to the right side so it was an unfortunate uh just game overall for the New York Giants then that 17 yard gain where it was a was a reduced split by Amari Cooper to the boundary where Ryan kind of rotated down and the blocking by Cooper Schultz and the pulling lineman was just too much for the Giants defense. That was a 17-yard game by I think it was Tony Pollard on that run. I mean Amari Cooper's kind of mixing it up in that reduced split blocking down and allowing defenders to pull around in a pin pull manner and it was just always a wide open alley and as I said earlier Dan it was always that deep safety having to come down take an angle and make a tackle because it seemed like the cornerback was kicked out the edge was always sealed and there was always just a lot of space from Dallas to run yeah and that just seemed like the 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 theme of the game a lot of space for Dallas to run not a great job setting the edge throughout the game they don't really have any linebacker depth whatsoever like literally whatsoever at this point at the linebacker situation is as barren as I've as I've seen it in a really long time. I mean, you're looking at Tate Crowder and Reggie Ragland playing a lot of snaps. That's, I'm not sure you can name one team with a worse line, but inside backer situation right now, I'd be, I can't, can you think of any Nick? Not off the top of my head. No, I mean, there, there, there's some bad linebacking groups out there, but this is a, this is a rough one right here. And Dan, I think you called this back in June. We had a, a random podcast when we were talking about the most important player on the giants defense. And there's a lot of people back then that you could point to Leonard Williams, James Bradbury, we were, you know, Xavier McKinney, his possible breakout, he's important. But I think you said, I think it would be Blake Martinez because we don't want to see any of these backup linebackers in a full-time role. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good point. And we're Thank seeing you. that right now. Thank you for the shout-out. I, well, I can take a victory lap because you initiated it, so now I feel better about taking it and less guilty. But you're right. I did take some flack for that, for saying Martinez. A lot of people disagreed with me on that. And I think where you really see it the most, and this is not just a Martinez thing, so I did want to get your take on it. I guess we can fast forward, we can fast forward to what I was going to ask later because I'm fine doing that, and then we'll get back into the drives and kind of do it like that. But yeah. where I'm really missing Martinez the most, it's obviously those outside runs, but it's also like, he obviously I'm not trying to sit here and say he was unbelievable in man coverage. I know he had trouble carrying vertical routes up the seam with linebacker with I'm um, sorry with fast running backs and tight ends, but 
he was really aware and he was in the right, right spot at a lot of times. And he got all those second levels in the right spot at a lot of times in zone coverage and giants ran a lot of zone. And I think a lot of what they're missing from this defense this year is kind of those second level guys, whether that be them dropping the edge back into coverage or just whoever's in it in the second level at linebacker, whether that be, you know, one of the safeties, just getting in the passing lanes and kind of affecting the throwing lane for the quarterback by getting themselves in the right spot in those passing lanes. That's like something I think they're missing from this year's defense that they had from last year's events that made them so well. I think a big reason for that is Blake. I know it was happening before Blake. So part of that is obviously not all Blake, but I don't know. It just feels like they're missing that. And I really feel like that's where his presence is lost as well. A lot just in that zone coverage role that he would play for them. Yeah. And especially when the, Defense was in like cover six type of variations, say like like a skate type of variation. Basically, you're going to be a nickel dime type of personnel. And whenever the offense is lined up in trips, so you have three receivers to one side, the mic is tasked to carry that number three every time he goes vertical. And that's when you see, and you saw it last year a lot with Blake Martinez. He was tasked to carry that or carry that receiver, whether it be a tight end or a receiver vertical, kind of robot if it was a play action, which means you're going to go up like you're going to attack and fit your run. And then you realize you're it's not a run. We talked about robot a couple podcasts ago. And then you rotate back to find that crossing route. We see the mic do that a lot. And I feel like Blake Martinez is much better and anticipates that and has better instincts than Tay Crowder. And then Reggie Ragland, somebody who's been around the game a little bit, he doesn't necessarily have the athletic ability to carry those routes. So I feel like losing Blake Martinez does a lot for what the Giants want to do in zone coverage. I think you're right there. Yeah, and unfortunately, they're not going to have him back this year. But, you know, that remains a position that I specifically would like to see them address. I'm not exactly sure when or how or, you know, anything of that nature. Because, again, remember, they're going to be very uh, limited as it, when it comes to next year, when it comes to their free agent options because of, uh, uh, you know, where they've spent and things of that nature. But for sure, I would definitely like to see them find a way to address those inside linebacker position. They'll hopefully have Blake back, but you know they could still use more bodies there, more depth, more guys to have to help them out. All right, let's get on to the next series here. So this is the one where the Cowboys go 10 plays, 41 yards, still just 3 nothing at this point, and they fumble in the red zone that Reggie Ragland kind of falls on. What did you see on this drive that really stood out to you? A lot of Julian Love blitzing in five-man pressure packages from the field. And Patrick Graham, he, he, had to, he had to do a lot in this game, and he changed a lot of different things up. And Love almost kind of came up with a sack there on Dak Prescott, the second and seven play. I love how Graham on that play, he slanted RJ3 inside. I hope you like that. Uh, to yeah, allow, I did like that. I did yeah, like that. He slanted Johnson inside to uh, kind of allow that disguised pressure from Love. And Love just shoots in there, gets to Dak Prescott's, feet and Prescott ends up just kind of throwing the ball away. And then on the fourth and one, it was a uh, simple end around to Cedric Wilson. And we seen this play, Dan, this season from the Giants, an end around. And every time it's blown up by the unblocked guy, the end man on the line of scrimmage. For the Giants on this play, it was O'Shane Zimenez. And he took a little bit too long recognizing what exactly was going down. And he spends too much time on the line of scrimmage reacting or reading ra rather than reacting. If he, if he actually right. attacked Vertically, he may have been able to make a play on Cedric Wilson, but he was a little bit slow there. We also saw a lot more tight front from the Giants on this drive to combat what the what the Cowboys were throwing at them in the run game, try to help spill everything outside even more, I guess, because that's what the whole uh, essence of the Dallas Cowboys rushing attack was. But Dallas continued using those YY sets to form a strength on the right side. Dallas kept running to the right and Graham adjusted, kind of put Carter there on this drive and pulled those Olari from that area. Yet they still had success running the football. Cowboys spent so much time just pounding the right side. And then the Giants couldn't yeah. fit those outside runs, man. They just couldn't. Similar to what we saw back in 2019, as I said, with uh, the first game by Leonard Williams. But Dallas rushed for 172 yards back in 2019 they rushed for 201 in this one so that 201 yards on the ground man it's very difficult to win a football game when you're getting abused like that yeah without a doubt i mean they're controlling the clock in that way they're controlling the line of scrimmages they're more physical team when something like that is happening it's you know bad from that standpoint it kind of you know some people said did the giants defense quit at the end of this game i'm not going to make that case i know some people have I didn't see that personally. I'll be curious to get your take on that. Yeah, you know, if you want to jump into that now, I'm fine bouncing around. Did you feel like there was any quit from the defense toward the end? I don't think they quit. I think they were just tired. I, I don't yeah. think the team flat out quit there. So, I mean, I would watch it again with a more keen eye on their 
effort to see individual players and if they actually ended up quitting. But I didn't see that on the first go around. I didn't get that impression. Giants football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick. .com and use the promo code BANTER. That's tickpick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, good, because I'm with you on that one. I felt the exact same way about the end of the game. But, you know, there were even some examples in this game of the Giants being beat up the middle in the run. So I'm sorry, on this drive, and we'll talk about that more later. But this wasn't a great drive for them. I know the Cowboys came in with zero points because of that fumble. But ultimately, you know, this is not, not exactly the best example of a great drive or anything of that nature for the Giants defense. Next drive, still three, nothing after the offense doesn't do it. The Cowboys have a four play 65 yard touchdown drive. So this was a big one that kind of changed the game here. The Giants got them into a third and eight here. And then there it is that 49 yard touchdown pass from Dak Prescott to CD lamb. I don't love the design having Julian love in a center field role. I don't really know why he's in that role. And I don't think that's great for the Giants by any means. But that obviously was out there for that play. And then obviously, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, Bradbury gets beat here by Lamb, who's not really the best straight line runner. Like He's not the the fastest receiver in the league, and he just gets beat pretty cleanly here. So what did you see on that play, for example, but also on the drive? Because there was also, you know, a, a crease by Elliott for a 14-yard gain just to kick off this drive. Yeah, that first down run by Elliott was a beautiful cutback to the strength. where oh, there nice, was no- that cutback. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, that's Ezekiel Elliott, dude. There's no question that how good Ezekiel Elliott is as a, as a running back. He takes a lot of crap. People are like, oh, Tony Pollard's a better running back. Tony Pollard is phenomenal. But Ezekiel Elliott has a great feel for rushing the football. Exactly. He's incredibly physical. He's great in pass protection. He's a he's just a great running back. I think we just have to admit well. It's exactly oh, yeah. the difference is there. It's like him, same thing with Chubb. It's like those guys just know how to mentally process the plays and pick the right spots. Absolutely. And Dalvin Cook is like Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, those guys, their their vision is is superb, I, I would say. It's something that Saquon Barkley just doesn't has or have at this point of his career, unfortunately. But Saquon hasn't had the easiest of times with the injuries he's dealt with in the offensive line that he's dealt with. And that's also very fair. Right. But I'm not sure. On that third and eight play, man, I mean, man coverage, Giants bring a fifth rusher, and Lamb just beats Bradbury with speed on an outside release for that 49-yard touchdown, as you said. Love playing that single high. He shades to the bunch because the Cowboys were in a three-by-one set bunch to the field with Lamb to the boundary, and Lamb just beats James Bradbury. It's a one-on-one situation. You trust your star cornerback and Meg there, and the Giants were man coverage anyways, but you trust 
the star cornerback to eliminate C.D. Lamb and not allow him to release outside there. Julian Love doesn't have the range to cover that ground, although he was shading towards the bunch because that is more of a threat, and James Bradbury is on the backside, so you trust James Bradbury to not get beat vertically. That did not happen. This is just the state of the defense, though. Everything that – we brought it up a little bit in the offseason, Dan. The Gi- We expected this Giants defense to take a step forward from what we saw in 2020, but defenses regress, man. They do. And this defense has regressed right now. The coaching has regressed. Each star player, Leonard Williams, James Bradbury, Gabriel Peppers, Logan Ryan, all of these players have regressed. Blake Martinez, he looked good in the first game of the season. Didn't do all that much in the second game, or at least didn't pop out on film as much, but still he's a significant upgrade over what the Giants have at linebacker right now. And now he's not there for the whole season. And this is what you have. There isn't going to be a linebacker that just pops up, Dan. <laughs> you're you're yeah, stuck with yeah. Tate Crowder and, and Reggie Ragland and Carter Coughlin, who played 11 snaps in this game and is used a lot as a inside stunt penetrator to kind of free up Leonard Williams. That's kind of how they're utilizing him. But I don't know if he's ever going to earn a full-time role and kind of usurp someone like a Tay Crowder or a Reggie Ragland. So the Giants are in a situation right now where their defensive personnel is worse and they're not living up to the potential that they showed in 2020. It's really crap right now. It's a crappy situation. Yeah, it's a tough spot. I think you always say it best when you say the one thing, Nick, that progression is not always linear. You just can't expect it to be an upward, you know, an upward trend, like a graph that a graph, think of like a graph chart that, or, you know, something you see online that just goes up like, like that stock meme or whatever that stonks meme. It's like, it's not that sometimes these guys regress. James Bradbury has a large sample size of not being an elite cornerback. He was last year. He wasn't before that. Leonard Williams had some pretty mediocre years with the Jets before coming to the Giants and really wasn't that great with the Giants in 2019 for his breakout 2020. He has some sample size of not being as dominant as he was in 2020. Um, and really, for me, there's just other guys we can talk about that just haven't taken the jump. Dexter Lawrence is probably the most disappointing player to me on the Giants by far. Um, yeah. if not only be, not only because of like him specifically, but because of what they invested to get him the 17th overall pick is a big, big pick in the draft. You need to try to find some kind of star player, some kind of big, big, big impact player there. Um, and, the, and he's just not that right now. He's not making a massive impact, but let's dive back into the game after that touchdown. Giants were able to then force a, uh, a punt after they got the Cowboys into a fourth and one, I think Cowboys, you know. At this point, we're, we're willing to punt. They're, you know, they're up 10-3 at this point. Giants then get their touchdown drive, and then bam, man, right away. It just seems to happen every single half. Has it happened all five games already? The touchdown before the half in the two-minute hurry-up offense? Like, what can we take away from this? What happened on this drive? What can the Giants do differently to change things and stop this? Is there something they need to do schematically differently? Is it a player issue? Dalton Schultz killed them on this drive. Just killed them. Gains of 11, 7, 15. Like, just destroying the Giants on this drive. So what what do you make of this, and what can change? There was a drive in between as well, but the Giants actually came up with the the three and out. There wasn't too much. It, It was a big stand by the Giants. I felt like Dalton Schultz... He did a good job on that third down, kind of getting space between Jackson and Ryan, but both of those players ended up tackling Dalton Schultz, and I believe Dallas ended up punting on a fourth and one situation. But you're right, man, that sixth drive, it's it's frustrating, dude. I I don't necessarily know what the Giants can do about this two-minute defense. They seem to be running a lot of zone match concepts, and that's a concept that requires a lot of communication, a lot of spatial awareness, something the Giants defense is just absolutely struggling with right now. The third and four catch on that drive by Schultz was an excellent play call to attack the Giants defense. Three by one set with the backside receiver running a drag, the number two and three receivers running in routes. The number three in clears Tay Crowder away from the middle of the field and the drag from the backside removes Julian Love who passes the number threes in to Crowder. So both those defenders are now occupied. Then you have Logan Ryan who was originally over Dalton Schultz. He passes Schultz to his inside defenders on the in-breaking route, because remember, you have the double in from that strong side, but both of those defenders, Crowder and Love, are occupied with those other receivers' routes, one coming from the backside, the drag, and then the first in. So now no one is on Dalton Schultz, and the only player who can make a play on Schultz is Xavier McKinney, who's about 15 yards deep. It's just a great scheme by Kellen Moore right there, man. That's how you take advantage of a zone match defense, and you kind of manipulate the coverage, because 
your match zone match is basically like a man type of principle. Your receivers running into your zone and then you're matching that. And then you're passing him as he goes away from your zone to another zone. That's basically what you're doing. You're passing him off when the route concepts manipulate that and draw the attraction of your defenders to other receivers, then there's no one to pass it off to, but the defenders who are passing it off originally aren't aware of that. So it was a great scheme by Callum Moore right there. Yeah, you nailed it. Great scheme by Moore. And again, these zone match, but like you said, the spatial awareness right now is not where it needs to be. I'm not sure how that gets fixed. I think part of it is just the second level defenders they have there. Um, and that's kind of what it's going to be for the rest of the season as far as the linebackers go. But yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. So it's 17-10. I'm sorry, go ahead. I want to kind of go over the touchdown too because to Amari Cooper, the Giants, they're in single high coverage right there. Cooper ends up getting open. And, and, and these cover one and cover three teams, the, the teams that play middle of the field close, it's something the Giants do a solid amount. They also play middle of the field open. They, they diversify it a solid amount. But they really need to rely on their cornerback's technique to have success because there is one player deep and, and not two players. It makes sense, right? Williams' technique was kind of terrible on that play. This is Rodarius Williams. He's injured now, so I don't want to pile on. I feel terrible for the kid. But he has inside leverage, forcing Amari Cooper to the outside. And Cooper really sells an outside break, and that completely flips Williams' hips. And sadly, Rodarius, he just didn't prevent Cooper from undercutting his position. Because Cooper is one of the best route runners in the National Football League. So once Cooper decides to go back inside, Williams' hips are basically faced towards the pylon. So he's in no position to make a play on the football. And it's a real mismatch in favor of Amari Cooper. Great route. But what I will say about Rodarius Williams, I don't know if you picked this up on the end zone copy, bro. But Darius Williams had some real recovery because he flipped his hips and yeah. got himself in position. And it looks like he even tipped the pass just by like literally an inch. It looks like he altered the ball just a little bit. And Amari Cooper still caught it for that touchdown. Did you check that out? Yeah, I did see that. It, you saw kind of the flash of maybe what the Giants saw in him as well and why he's playing so many snaps this, you know, at this stage of the season over guys like Holmes. Yeah, man, Darnay Holmes, he's a forgotten guy and a half. And we haven't even seen Aaron Robinson. Remember when we were talking about Darnay Holmes yeah. and Aaron, versus Aaron Robinson? It turned into Rodarius Williams versus Darnay Holmes and Julian yep. Love versus Darnay Holmes. It's, that's been a, that's just, it's not a great uh, situation either. Yep, no doubt about it. All right. And this is kind of then where the wheels fall off because we mentioned earlier on the offensive podcast, the Giants opened the third, uh, third quarter with a field goal drive. Well, then the Cowboys go on a, another touchdown drive, 10 plays, 75 yards, four minute long drive. And, you know, this is now back to back touchdown drives. The one they gave up for the half and then this one. And this one was a nice mix of a lot of passing. Once again, Dalton Schultz just ripping up the Giants um, and then some run plays in here as well. So anything that stood out to you on this drive specifically? Ah, the touchdown pass to Ezekiel Elliott, man. What a good play, dude. Yeah. So hard for the that's just so hard for the Giants to defend, too. I mean, the Giants, you could pile on the defense. That's a difficult play to defend. No. I mean, it really is. The Cowboys motion Pollard off the reduced stack of Lamb towards yeah. the reduced positioning of Noah Brown, who's kind of like aligned as a tight end off the line of scrimmage in a two-point stance. And that draws the linebacker's attention on the fake jet sweep. I guess you can call it. And then Prescott fakes the pitch to Ezekiel Elliott. That freezes Logan Ryan coming off the edge. And that buys Prescott some time. And then Lamb goes inside and runs a deep horizontal route, which creates a bunch of traffic for those linebackers to get outside and draws all the attention while moving, removing James Bradbury from the field side. Prescott looks towards Lamb, who has three defenders around him, and then easily just transitions to Elliott, who is absolutely wide open in the flat. There's just way too much going on on that play. And it seemed like that was probably Tay Crowder's responsibility if I if I had to pick somebody. So it might've been a blown rep there from Tay Crowder. But Crowder first had to look at Pollard's motion, see what was going on there. Then he sees Lamb coming into his area and he's like, oh, what's going on there? And then nobody accounted for Ezekiel Elliott. It was just another great play call by Kellen Moore. Yeah, I can't knock the defense too much for that. Just unbelievable play call by Moore. I just want to one day say unbelievable play call by the Giants, whoever our coordinator <laughs> is. Like, it's such a good design, man. Like, just you, you watch that on film, you, you shake your head, and you're just like, kudos. Just well done. Just such a really good design and really good execution by the Cowboys. You can tell they practiced that. You know, they got it down. Uh, Giants come back here, and that's their next drive is obviously the Mike Glennon interception drive. Um, and then they have that uh, – the Cowboys have an eight-play, 39-yard drive on a short field where the Giants hold them to a field goal. Anything that really stands out from this drive for you? Man, the Giants almost came up with a fumble there. That would have been their third kind of, I guess you can call, break when Tony Pollard fumbled on that, uh, on that night – what was that, third and 19 or second and 19 play? I, I guess I would say – Third and uh, 19, yep. Yeah, third and 19. Kid almost picked it up too. He's just so explosive. But Dallas, man, they're tight ends. They're just – 
such good blocking, man. On this drive, I really noticed it as well. They, they just did such a good job against Ujolari and Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez. They just, their positioning and their ability to seal the edge. And that's how the Cowboys were able to get to the edge so frequently is because they utilized their tight ends. A lot of the times in YY sets to the boundary sometimes, sometimes it was only one uh, blocker on that side as well. I mean, it's just a... Uh, it sucks, man. And as you said earlier, I want to say, oh, I wish this was a great play call by the Giants. I want to say, oh, man, I wish that blocking was great for the Giants. Yeah. Watching the Cowboys block the Giants makes me want this offensive line and these tight ends to just be a much more proficient and effective blocking team because they're just not at this point. Yep. And I'll give kudos to Austin Johnson for his sack on this drive. Yeah. Austin Johnson, man, at this point, like, <laughs> is he the best? <laughs> is he their best <laughs> pass rusher one on one in these four man pass rush situations? Dude, he's winning. Like he's like he's winning. winning. He's winning, and I get it. He's not getting, I guess, the same amount of attention as Dexter Lawrence, the same amount of attention as Leonard Williams. But he's still tasked one on one, and he's winning. And that's all you can ask from someone who's your, I guess, third defensive lineman, arguably fourth going into the season. Because a lot of people view Danny Shelton as the third, including myself. But he has definitely not lived up to it. Austin Johnson is definitely that strong three, and he's the one who, I guess, if you had to. Not to give a superlative away, you had to talk about a positive from this defense. The only one that really comes to my mind is Austin Johnson. Yeah, it's crazy. But right now, like a, a case can actually be made that he's been one of their better, if not best, one-on-one pass rushers. Obviously, again, like he's not commanding doubles at the rate of a Leonard Williams, but he's also, you know, not accounting for twenty-five million of their salary cap space. So that's to be expected when you're yep. when you acquire that. You you have to beat double teams. Um. Anyway. We roll past through. Cowboys go on one more drive, and this is the one we talked about earlier on the offensive podcast, what I call the punch-in-the-mouth drive. Still just a two-score game, and the Cowboys just say, screw everything. We're going to go 98 yards in nine plays to put this thing 34-13, and game over. Game ball, yes, there's still seven and a half minutes left to play of a quarter. Doesn't matter. You're not coming back. That's the game. This drive was just, oh boy, I mean, Zeke for gains of 10. Zeke for gains of seven or no, it's Pollard for a gain of seven. Prescott hit a deep pass to Cedric Wilson. I mean, hit a two to Cedric Wilson. Or no, they had to throw with Cedric Wilson, that design play. This was just like the Giants defense here. Just again, I didn't think it was quit or anything. I just feel like they were tired and it showed. Absolutely. They were just getting out physical, man. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they have to quit. Sometimes your opponent is just better than you. And Dallas was better than them in this game. It's Call, you got to call spade a spade, man. And Dallas beat them up up front. They were more physical and they controlled the line of scrimmage. And that's something that you want the Giants to do. The Giants made significant investments in their defensive line. The Giants don't get bullied too often at this level, in my opinion. But in this game, they got straight bullied and they lost. And it didn't help the Giants offense couldn't really sustain drive. So they were out there for extended periods of time as well. Yep. No doubt about it. All right. After that, obviously, Dallas gets, what was it, one more possession where they, they did at the field will drive. Anything to take away from that last one before we get into some uh, overall thoughts? The, the game was blown out by that point. Right. Yeah. Yep. No doubt about it. All right. Let's talk some big picture questions. So I want to start with this one because this was probably the most glaring one to me, Nick, and I want to get your thoughts on this. We talked a lot in previous podcasts about Jabril Peppers and how he's kind of struggled this season, but to me... I felt like, especially in this game, where you said it best, man, they got out physical. I don't think that's like English, but it is true. It's what happened. They got out physical. <laughs> like they were not there. They were beat up at the point of attack early and often. And I feel like his presence, his presence was felt really big. And he was missed in this one. They didn't have that tough physical alley defender. That's not what Logan Ryan can do. To me, at this point, I'm not exactly sure what Logan Ryan does, other than you know sometimes being the right spot at the right time because you can't use him single high looks center field. You can't use him in this Peppers role, um, and that contract to me, you you know it. I said at the time I wasn't a huge fan of it. Now we're going to enter the age 32 season with a lot of that cap kick back, but. I'm not so sure I ever want to see him in this role that he was this week for the Giants ever again, because I just don't think that he can play in that role. But honestly, I'm not sure anyone on this roster can except for Peppers. And to me, his present his like, yeah, he's been beat a lot um, when he's been in man coverage and spots and just really looked really bad at times this year. But he's still that guy who can come down and be physical in the alley and help you out. when You need someone to do that. And, you know, I feel like to me, his presence was, you know, his lack of, is his, his lack not being there? It was felt. What did you think of that? 
I would say that it was felt just because you don't see the Giants have have surrender 200 yards on the ground too often. Logan Ryan didn't really miss any tackles in this game as uh, not, not to my knowledge. I'm trying to think of one that he may have missed. I don't think he missed tackles. I just didn't think he was as physical in that. He's not. And I didn't think he was. Yeah, he's not. He's not as physical. Xavier McKinney, I think he's missed a tackle in every game. I got to check PFF for that, but he's somebody that should be better. Somebody who's not living up to my expectations for a breakout second year, something we expected. Similar to Dexter Lawrence in his third year, just not really getting that much pressure, not defeating one-on-one matchups, just not acting in a manner that we hoped. And as we said earlier, Progression has has hit this Giants defense in a terrible manner, and it seems like everybody is affected by it, and nobody has stepped up and, and kind of put the team on their back, put the unit on their back. Logan Ryan, he's not necessarily – I think he can tackle. I think he can be an alley defender, but not to the level of Jabril Peppers. But that's the um, catch-22, I guess, because when you put 11 guys out there, Jabril Peppers, if the offense decides to pass and the Giants are in man coverage, Jabril Peppers is not good at man coverage, and we've seen that a lot right. this season. So you kind of have to balance. How do you want to use Jabril Peppers? Do you only use him on obvious running downs because he is a secure uh, run defender, really good alley defender, physical body? That could be an option, but at the same time, you don't want to be too one-dimensional. I think he's he's not the worst in man coverage. I would say he's better than Landon Collins. What's your thought on that? Because when Landon Collins had that almost defensive player of the year season. I was I felt like I was one of those giant fans that were like, this guy has just got to get lucky at receptions here. And I, I think I'm in the minority there, to be honest, but I never thought he was somebody who ever excelled as a man covering defender. I think Jabril Peppers might be better than him in that role, but Landon Collins still is probably a little bit more physical vintage Landon Collins than, than Jabril Peppers. What do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think that he was worse in man. Um, but that year, he was like just a man with his head on fire. He didn't miss. It felt like he didn't miss a single tackle. Felt like he was yeah. coming down so hard, and he was so physical on his when when he drove down on the line of scrimmage. That like you could tell that players didn't want to get tackled by him, didn't want to get in the way of him uh, a lot of the time. So yeah. yeah, but I do agree with you in general. Like a lot of people give Pepper's crap for man coverage. It, it was probably better than Collins, but you're right. It's like a catch twenty two. It's a give and a take there because if you get him on the field, you're going to get a little bit worse man coverage so it's something you, you, you gotta accept really absolutely man absolutely but overall dude it's it's just been disappointing and it's not going to get any better on sunday you have matt stafford and the rams coming into metlife stadium with an extended week of rest that's sucks man that sucks it's going to be something to watch sean McVay scheme against this giants defense with weapons like Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and even Deshaun Jackson, because you know there's going to be at least a deep shot or two to Deshaun Jackson. It's going to break every Giants fan's heart if he ends up connecting on those. Yeah, oh my God, it's going to definitely break Giants fans' hearts if he ends up connecting on any of those. But we'll see what happens there. I got a couple more questions for you, though. And really what I want to get to is kind of the bottom line of what's going on with this defense right now, because the defense as it stands now is largely what we're going to get for the 2020 uh for the 2022 season. They don't have any free agent space uh free agent uh room to spend this offseason. So that's that. I mean, they might go the defensive route in the draft, but you get the feeling that with the exception of Edge, they're probably going to have to look at offensive line in this draft for sure. I mean, I don't know how else they're going to fix that either. And so they have spent a lot here. Like they've spent massive free agent contracts on Bradbury and Dory Jackson. They've spent a big free agent contract, not as massive on Logan Ryan. They used a borderline, you know, a top 45 pick, which is borderline one on Xavier McKinney. They used, you know, they, and this was after all the other things they did, like, you know, using two early day or day three picks on Holmes and um, Julian Love using, uh, you know, a day through a day two pick on Aaron Robinson using the Beal pick, the supplemental pick, the DeAndre Baker trade. So all of that, they put a lot of resources into this coverage. Why do you think the coverage has been so bad this year? Like, can you pinpoint, because this is it. Like, these are the guys. These are their hog. With the exception of Aaron Robinson, who will come back and hopefully help. These are the guys. So what do you think the real issue is here, I guess? It's the same thing I think I've been saying for the last couple weeks. Usually it's one player making a mistake. It's spatial awareness. 
And it's just a lack of communication and feel. I feel like this defense right now isn't playing to the groove that they had last year. They're not playing with that same type of confidence. And it seems like there's always one player who's out of position or one player who is distracted by something that the offense is doing. And it seems like every week, Dan, that the quarterback recognizes where that is, knows where that's going to be, and then they attack it and they attack it. And the Giants haven't done a good enough job finding ways to adjust to what the offense is doing to remove that. And every time they go into man cover, it seems like there is one player who is a liability, whether that be Jabril Peppers. And James Bradbury is not a liability, but he's getting beat by other good offensive players. He's getting beat by good wide receivers. And that's not something that happened all that often last year. He came up big. A lot of quarterbacks didn't necessarily want to target James Bradbury all that often. How many times did we see him kind of click and close downhill to the catch point? A lot of this was in zone coverage because he's excellent at reading and reacting right. or attacking. But now that we're playing a little bit more man coverage, at least it seems like we're playing a little bit more man coverage, he's not as instinctive because his back is turned to the quarterback. So now he has to trust just his athletic ability and his technique, which he has, but so does the wide receiver. And he's losing a lot of those battles to the wide receiver. At least he's losing more than we expect. There are still plays. I mean, go back to the Washington game. Terry McLaurin was abusing him, but there were still several plays on that film, Dan. And I'm sure you can attest to this as well, where James Bradbury was getting the best of Terry McLaurin. Right. So there are plays where that's happening. We're just not seeing them all that often. We're only seeing the bad. But last year, the bad wasn't evident. The bad wasn't coming to fruition. The bad wasn't happening. And now it's happening. It's regressed. And that's probably all of those things together are the issues going on with this Giants defense at the moment. That's fair. Now let me uh, bring it to the next point, and that's Patrick Graham. Because we you know, we loved Graham last year. We, there was even a point where – Brian Schottenheimer, coordinator, offense coordinator for the Seahawks last year, basically said we had to not game plan against the Giants. We had to throw out anything interesting and just go to our bread and butter plays we've been practicing since day one install because Patrick Graham's doing such a good job of disguising his coverages. And then you saw it bear out in the actual game. They shut down Russell Wilson. This year, it feels like it's possible, and I want to get your take on this, that maybe just maybe defenses, or I'm sorry, opposing offense coordinators now have enough tape on what the Giants put on film and Patrick Graham last season that they've figured out ways to beat it and that Graham hasn't adjusted. How much of this is on Graham? And where is your opinion of Graham any different now than it was in the offseason? I would say it's not as high just because we haven't seen him adjust to the adjustments that offensive coordinators have made to what Graham threw at them last year. Now he can easily adjust. It might take some time. It doesn't seem like the personnel is playing up to their capabilities either. I'm not down on Patrick Graham. I still have faith in Patrick Graham. But yeah, it's hard not to look at what this defense is doing right now and not point to the defensive coordinator and say, why aren't you figuring this out? We're five games in and we're seeing the same mistakes. What is going on with the two-minute drill? Why is this Swiss cheese D coming up? And why wasn't it here last year? How have you not figured out how to adjust your personnel to stop these two-minute drives? Like All these questions and all these uh, facts, I guess you can say, kind of come into uh, kind of come to the forefront of every Giants fan's mind. And I think that's fair, but that doesn't mean that we, we, we have to lose faith in Patrick Graham. Let's see if he can adjust. Let's see if that happens. But yeah, my opinion of him right now is definitely not as high as it was at the beginning of the season when we expected this to be a top eight unit. Yeah, and that's fair. And I, I agree with you. I'm, I haven't lost faith in Graham. I still believe he's a really good coach for the Giants. They paid him a lot to stay here. Um, and I think he'll I think he'll find his way this season even as well. I think the Giants defense is going to take a big jump at some point this season. We'll have some fun podcasts to talk about. So I remain the same there. But I will ask you one question, Nick. In my mind, in today's NFL, if you want to be a really good defense, you have to find a way to win when you're rushing four guys. Well, it doesn't matter who those four are. It could be a lineman that drops in coverage and you send a, uh, you know, a defensive back from an unexpected spot. Regardless, rushing four, dropping seven. When you rush four and drop seven, that's where most of the that's what most of the plays are going to be made up of during your during your year, during game to game, year to year. And right now, the Giants are simply not. We went over the coverage, but right now, from a pass rush standpoint, when they're rushing four, no matter who those four are, they're simply not winning a lot of those battles. What do you make of their inability to create consistent pressure while rushing four? Who are, you know, who are some of the culprits and where do you, where do guys like uh, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence stand for you from just a pure pass rushing standpoint right now? They're not, they're not winning their one-on-ones right now. And I, you see, they're still employing similar stunts, stunts that worked last season with Dexter Lawrence as the penetrator, Leonard Williams, the looper, C- Carter Coughlin as a linebacker penetrating with Leonard Williams as the looper. It just seems like they're always a step behind and they're not necessarily getting off these blocks quite quick enough. And the quick game of the offenses that they're facing are 
able to kind of pinpoint a weakness in coverage and, and find the open player, whether that be on a deep dig or a quick slant or a quick flat route, slant flat, whatever it ends up being. It just seems like the Giants haven't had the Giants defenders on the defensive line, the edge rushers haven't had the time to to get around and and, and win their one-on-one matchups. And that's on them. That's on the personnel. And whatever Patrick Graham is doing, whether that be five-man pressure packages with A-gap blitzes, sugaring the A-gap, uh, using creepers, bringing uh, the nickel back off the edge, something he did a lot last year with Logan Ryan and Darnay Holmes. We saw it a lot in this game with Julian Love. They're just not necessarily getting home. And there was a couple times where they kind of got home, but then the sack wasn't finished. Julian Love gets to Dak Prescott's feet, but he right. can't bring them down. And it's just like, it's kind of maddening. You, you need the execution to be there as well. I think this is, as I said on on the pod, the reaction podcast, it's coaching, yes, but it's also personnel. It, it's a collective blame for sure you need Leonard Williams to play better as a pass rusher he's getting paid as you said like that so that's what you expect you need Dexter Lawrence to show up as a pass rusher that hasn't happened yet I think Aziz Ojalari has done what you expect a rookie to do and that's great but you can't rely on him as your primary pass rusher right now and Lorenzo Carter is nowhere to be found O'Shane Zimenez you don't really hear much from O'Shane Zimenez when he's out there you see his quick hands sometimes you see him be able to disengage but can he bend the corner and get around and then make a hit on the quarterback in time no he hasn't necessarily done that it's it's a frustrating it's just a frustrating overall situation to be honest and it's collective everybody is to blame on that line and in these pressure packages and when Graham does design solid stunt twist then the Giants haven't executed. Yeah, there's no denying it, unfortunately. Let's get to some superlatives, wrap up there, and then talk a little bit about iTunes reviews and ratings and reviews. Start with the unheralded player of the game. We have the same one here. We're not, again, like I said on the last show, we're not going to get cute with this. We're not just going to pick different people just to pick different people. If one person is the answer, both Nick and I feel after we watch the film, that person's going to get it. So who's your pick? It's the same as mine. You could, you could get into it. AJ himself, Austin Johnson. I wish that AJ was a Dory Jackson, though, to be honest. Me too. And Austin Johnson, again, just getting individual pressure, winning some one-on-one, something you're just not seeing from a lot of these other guys. Do you have a best individual play on a, on a particularly not-so-great defensive day? It'd probably be the Austin Johnson sack. Yes. That's, that's probably what it would be. And I'm sure that's yours as well, right? Yeah, it's that. I mean, there were a couple Lenzo of... Carter. Yeah, That's Lorenzo right. Carter. There you go. That's a great one, the tip pick. There's a couple stops on third downs where they kept them just before the yard marker. Even one from Bradbury. We had a nice tackle just before the sticks. So all of those can qualify, but either that tip pick or Austin Johnson. Give me your player on film who you thought struggled and you just didn't see enough of that you want to see more of. Probably Tay Crowder, I, I would say. T- Tay Crowder just seemed like both linebackers. Reggie Ragland, not as much, but we expect Reggie Ragland not to have the athletic ability to always get to the edge. And Reggie Ragland still, he, he does a good job using his hands to kind of keep his chest clean and, and kind of being a nuisance, but he's just not athletically there. You didn't expect him to start. You wanted him to be in like a, a first, second down role, not a three down type of role. He's playing 60 snaps in this game, you know? Take Crowder though, I just felt like he wasn't always in position. There were times where he should obviously have fit the run, but he thought it was going to be a play action. And then by the time he started heading towards his assignment, there was a guard just directly in front of him, leaving two holes for Ezekiel Elliott's eye. To me, it's, it's Tate Crowder, definitely room for improvement there. He didn't have a missed tackle though. So I'll give him credit there, but he just wasn't in position like he should have been. Yep. Fair enough. For me, it's going to be Logan Ryan again, playing a role that's not his typical role, but just didn't like the physicality from him in that role. I didn't think he made any good plays in coverage. I didn't think he really added too much to this game. Like you said, no missed tackles, but just didn't add enough. I just need more. I need more from somebody who is making that kind of money and somebody whose cap hit has been, you know, kicked back to future seasons to the point where he will be on that roster in spite of his age, in spite of, you know, getting much older. Um, starts to feel a little bit Anton Bethea-like, but a more expensive version of that, which I don't want. I know he's a good locker room guy. I know he's a good leader, all of those things, but I need to see him make more plays. I really do at that price tag. So he's my guy. Pass rush. Give me a one to 10 grade with decimals. 2.7, I'll go with. It, it wasn't great. Again, it's been the same story basically all season. We, we want to see more in some clutch situations. I felt like, as I said earlier, Graham and did devise a couple nice plays to, to get free rushers at Dak Prescott, but the execution wasn't there, so I'm going to go with the 2.7. Yeah, it's a 2.4 for me. Again, just just not enough one-on-one wins here in the pass rush game, except for you know the exception of some Austin Johnson fun reps, but yeah. 2.4 run defense. Oh boy. This is might be the lowest we've ever given our run defense grade. 
Yeah, I got a 1.4 here. You allow the Cowboys to go for over 200 yards on you. That's not great. And and I can understand maybe a little bit higher. This wasn't, you know, Derrick Henry ripping off 200 yards himself, but it wasn't a pretty look. And the thing that kind of made me the most mad about it was the Cowboys identified a weakness. The Giants tried to adjust to said weakness and they couldn't. They couldn't, and Dallas kept attacking the right side, kept running horizontally, kept pin-pull concepts out there, and the Giants just couldn't do anything to effectively stop it, and that's why I'm so down on it at a 1.4. And I think you actually made such a re- – I'm giving this one a 2.2, so pretty similar, nothing too much better. I think you made a great point when you compared it to that Cowboys game from Leonard Williams when they traded for Williams just after just before the deadline, 2019, and the Cowboys just kind of got – had their way with the Giants in the run game, ran all over him. It's a great O-line, man. They can do that to a lot of teams, but you didn't expect to see it from this Giants defense, especially with all the investments they've made in the defensive tackle and the interior defensive line positions. Um, and so it, just, it was tough to see. It truly was. All right, anything else on the defense before we wrap up and talk a little bit about uh, iTunes reviews? No, I think that's good, man. It's just hopefully they can bounce back strong against another tough, tough team that loves to use wide zone and build play action passes off that with speedy, very, very talented receivers. Yeah, the Rams are going to be really interesting for this defense with Matt Stafford in there. I mean, he's been just, I think he's averaging like 10 yards an attempt or something absolutely insane like that. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think he's third in the NFL right now in passing yards. Has like 12 touchdowns and two picks. He just struggled a little bit in that Arizona game. But other than that, he's been really, really good. And he's dealing with an injured finger. So I guess, or hand, I think it might be a finger on his throwing hand. So that's something to monitor if, if he ends up getting hit. But the Giants got to hit him first for, their, for, for anything bad to happen there. Right. Right. And so we'll see what happens there. All right. Some iTunes reviews. Um, no actual questions. I was digging deep for questions. Just some nice things that people said. Um, one person, King Kevin, this was a funny one. He said, uh, at the beginning of the 21st century, us football fans wanted higher quality analysis, attention to details. This is where Dan and Nick come to play. For starters, Dan and Nick are exceptionally handsome. First of all, very nice thing to say. Too nice. I'm not that handsome. Um, can't imagine how many hearts Dan broke at Wisconsin in his college years. Very funny. Uh, just an overall funny um, review. So thank you for that. It was, a, it was a great read. I had a good time enjoying it. Appreciate the five stars. Appreciate the review. Appreciate Why Joe Judge with his review. Appreciate Tugboat with the five-star review. Same thing from Duke 1928. Bill JM, thank you so much. Great show. Provides a great combination of uh, fan passion with technical breakdowns. Flick fan, honest, if not brutal. Company men, women, commentary has its purpose, but sometimes our eyes tell you something that the talking heads and insiders dance around. This podcast can be brutal in their assessment of the Giants, but they seem better informed and knowledgeable than most of the fan-made podcasts, so thank you for that as well. Was one negative view- review I did want to address, so hopefully you're listening still. It's Charles Staz. Um, I'd like, if you can, Charles Staz, to reach out to me. You can You can find me on Twitter if you have that. Uh, Dan Schneier NFL so we can discuss your critique because I would like to discuss in depth I see that you you talk about how you like the podcast a lot in the beginning and you still love it when we do the alternative you don't like the rants by me on the GM on things that happened three or four years ago and I will say this so this is why I'd love to discuss it with you in my mind there's two things there's this is a two-pronged thing and I want to be open to all criticism and I want to improve on this and change this so we can get five-star reviews from you, not three stars. And so, and not just you from anyone, you know, from people like you or anyone who's keeping this in rotation or not, but I'll say this, we just spent, I don't know, two straight hours talking about the all 22 film, not a word on the general manager or the team's management or any of the 30,000 foot view stuff. We did a 30 minute video on Canaries Tony's breakout this week on YouTube. But I won't sit here and tell you that this podcast is going to be fully all 22, fully just technical analysis, because that's not what it's supposed to be. That's not what it will be. And you can talk about decisions that happened three or four years ago. But part of the reason the Giants are where they're at now today is because of those decisions. And a lot of those were process based. And a lot of us called them out as potential red flags at the time. And I will continue to talk about this team on 30,000 foot view. And I know Nick will as well. You even mentioned Nick does it as well. Sometimes we're, this is not just a podcast about what's happening on tape for a one in four team. That's out of it by week five. Again, this is a podcast trying to get, you know, break down where the giants are at, how they can improve, how they can get better long-term picture, things of that nature. These are things that need to be focused on. We want to talk about good football team again, but we can't force it. And so reach out to me, uh, explain to me some of the specific things you don't like. Like I feel like most of this, um, you know, Pretty, been pretty fair. I've been pretty fair about where they're at. I mean, again, they're out of it by week five for the fourth straight year. 
despite the draft capital and despite the free agent spending. So I'd love to talk about it with you because I want to improve and I want to get you back. And this is for anybody who, you know, has has had these feelings about this or anything you don't like about the pod. Feel free to reach out to us. We're looking to improve this day after day. We want to give the best product possible here. That's our goal. So let us know for sure. Otherwise, for everybody else, have a great rest of your week. Thank you for pouring in those iTunes reviews. Thank you to everyone who took the time to watch our YouTube stuff that we're starting to pour out. We did a Kadarius Tony 30-minute last time. One more shameless plug. 30-minute breakdown of his breakout performance. All 22 film. It's awesome stuff. Go to our YouTube. Please rate it. Uh, I'm sorry. Subscribe to our YouTube page and then like that video watch it you'll enjoy it for everyone else have a great rest of your weekend and we'll talk to you soon everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body including those involved in hormonal balance from functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.